0: So we're looking at our next uh, hidden hero which I'm excited about. So uh, one of the things that Sarah and I uh, try and do, and I think we, we probably learned it from our parents, is that when people come to the gate or, uh, or anything like that asking for food or asking for drink, or even if they're asking for money, the one thing that we've decided that we can never say no to is giving food or drink. I think that's biblical as well. So definitely money, you can be like, no, sorry, or job or whatever else. But when it comes to um, hunger, and if you have something, I think it's our responsibility as Christ followers to give of that anyway. So there was uh, it, it was a while ago, and uh, I, I don't know if we only had one box of milk left, or if, we, if it was short at that time, I can't exactly remember, but anyway, in the house, that's what we had. So this person came, there wasn't really anything else, but there was a box of milk, and Sarah had one of these things of like, oh, should I give it, but then maybe it's no coffee or whatever else, I'm going to have to go to the shops, really not the biggest saga in our lives. Anyway, gave, gave the milk across, and literally a few moments later, our next door neighbor was like, hey, I happen to get um, a bunch of extra milk, would you like like a carton of six milk, um, and, and, came, and we're like, well of course, came and dropped it off. And it was such an amazing story of, out of generosity, God multiplies. And that's on a very tiny scale. We've had countless other stories of God doing things, um, of multiplying or giving back. Another great one was, we love Woolworth's shortbread biscuits. Um, they're, they're really bad for your tummy, but they are brilliant. And anyway, we, we we'd bought a few back when we went to South Africa, and we had one left. And uh, God really put it on Sarah's heart to give this to someone. And boy, was that a battle. I mean, giving money would be way easier than giving Woolworths shortbread. And, uh, and, and she was just like, oh my goodness, do I really have to? You know, Lord, why are you telling me to do this? Anyway, gave, and literally I think it was an hour later, or literally an hour later, someone arrived at the gate saying, Hey, we just thought we'd give you a gift of the same Woolworths things that you had just given away. And we were just like, God, you mind, are mind blowing when we decide to give out of something that is painful and a little bit hurtful and costs us something. And God just gives back in different ways. He may not always give back with uh, shortbread, but He did that time. He might give back with other things. And one of the funny ways or interesting ways that I feel God's multiplied stuff is during these last few months and has been manned down with various viral infections, and you guys prayed. It was amazing as a church, and I found the craziest thing that happened to me is I found that over the those few months, it seemed like I was working an awful lot less hours, and I was helping more with the girls and helping Sarah more, but it seemed like God either multiplied or whichever else, but I was more productive in these two and a half months than I think I've been in the entire years before when I shouldn't have been in the hours that I had or with the efficiency that I had. But God honestly, miraculously kind of multiplied the process. So I think God, when we hand over the little bit that we have, whether it's our time, whether it's our resources physically, whether it's our finances, whether it's our talents, our gifts, or abilities, when we genuinely hand those over to him, and there will be a cost to it, there will always be a cost, we hand them over to him, it's almost like it gives him the opportunity to multiply it in our lives and to multiply the benefit to other people. And so the hidden hero that we're gonna look at today did the same sort of thing. So. Uh, as a boy in the Bible, some of you might have heard the story um, of him, but he didn't have much to offer. There was a bit of a situation, and uh, what he had to offer, which uh, I'll, I'll read the story in a short bit so you'll have to see, is he had five loaves, I got half a loaf, because I think that uh, his, his five loaves were probably similar in size, probably if you collected it, and he had two fish. <laughs> I was gonna bring live koi from our next door neighbors but I thought they might be a bit bleak if we killed them in in front of you guys in the service. So this is what he had. And when we put it in context, he had this to offer amongst a multitude where actually what he had to offer would be meaningless. In all honesty, what he had to offer in solving the problem of the multitude was really pretty pointless but that's what he had to offer. And uh, you might be asking, and he was probably asking as well, well what could Jesus really do with something this small when it comes to something so big? When that's all he had. But that's why he's the hidden hero. Because he believed that somehow what he had to offer was worth something to God no matter how small it looked, and on the back of it, God did something miraculous. So we're gonna read. A number of you may know the story. Uh, Some of you may not who are here visiting. It comes uh, from John 6, one of the Gospels. John, one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, it's entitled, uh, Feeding of the 5,000. And uh, I've titled the priest today, Moving into Multiplication in Our Lives. So we're going to read this a little bit together to give you a, a bit of context. Jesus has started his earthly ministry and he's been doing the miraculous. So people who haven't been able to walk are walking, people who are blind are seeing. Uh, he is doing the miraculous and he has a great following because of it and uh, he's been traveling in different areas around Jerusalem. He's just been to Jerusalem. It's about the time of the Passover where people celebrated something that happened to the Israelites, I'll share a bit later, but he's been doing the miraculous, he doing ministry, and we pick up the story on the back of it. He's been in Jerusalem, he crosses over the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain, he sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, one of his disciples, where will we buy bread? Sorry, press it twice. Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, it's about uh, two-thirds of a year's wage for someone um, or close to a year worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000, the men, so in all likelihood, there was probably closer to 10,000, something like that, Um, but the, the men were counted. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them, filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five loaves that were left over um, by those who'd eaten. They obviously enjoyed the fish more than the loaves. Didn't leave any fish. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Great, I just wanna pray quickly. Lord Jesus, as we look into the story that many of us may have heard loads of times before, we may have come across it in Sunday school as young children, maybe we're here visiting and it's new to us, or maybe we've heard the story before, I ask that you would give us your eyes today. I ask that you would give us something special and unique so that we can actually move into the life that this little boy showed us, that Jesus wanted to show us in the story, that we wouldn't miss what you have for us, that this would be, um, would, would be a way of moving us into a miraculous way of life. In your powerful name, amen. Great stuff, so I've got four uh, quick challenges that I trust will help us, four elements for the way that this boy operated and what Jesus did to become a reality in our life. The first one is having an earthly mindset versus a kingdom mindset. That's the first part of walking into this lifestyle this boy had, an earthly mindset versus a kingdom mindset. So uh, the disciples, as well as the huge crowd there, when we look at it, obviously, realized there's a problem, there's a lot of people, people don't have food, and so we need to try and solve this problem of lack of food. And it seems that for some reason, although the people, it says there, um, had been following Jesus because he'd been performing um, by healing the sick, and his disciples were with him the whole time, it seemed that they hadn't quite grasped yet that the solution to the problem could easily be solved by the supernatural king amongst them. They had been seeing him do the supernatural. They had been seeing people have sight who didn't have it before. They had been watching this, but it seemed for a moment, in spite of all of that, suddenly their eyes were lowered from who they were with and they were lowered onto the earthly problem and finding earthly solutions to the their problem. So one of the disciples, Philip, goes towards the monetary problem. So he goes, oh my goodness, there is no ways we could quickly run to the town and buy bread. This is gonna cost a year's wage. Jesus, there's no ways. This was gonna cost absolutely impossible. And then on the other hand, the other disciple goes, well, it's not about buying the food. Let's see what we can do with people around and let's see if we can sort of share it out and we can sort of break it and, and make a plan. So he starts looking there. So one looks further away money, the other looks around at what there is, but none of them stop to go, but actually we're in the presence of the living God who has already done incredible healings that we've seen. Don't you think he might just have a solution to this problem if we would just ask him? So interesting that no one asked him to provide food. He came up with that himself. But none of them thought to go, hey Jesus, we've seen you do a lot over the last few weeks. We've seen you do some crazy stuff. Um, What do you think we should do? Uh, Do you think you could just make a plan and, and provide and make it out of nothing like you've done with other healings? No one asked that question. Why didn't the disciples pick up Jesus' test? So he went up, he sat everyone down. Uh, So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asks Philip, obviously, where are we gonna buy bread? He asked us to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So why didn't the disciples go, ah, Jesus, great test, but we're gonna pass. We've already seen what you've done, amazing test, but just please add the food, make the food happen. Why didn't they ask those sorts of questions? I wonder if you and I would have been any different in the situation. It's easy for us to see on the outside, right? But if we were there with the crowd of 10,000 people with no food around, I wonder if any of us, having seen the miraculous that Jesus did, would have been any different. I don't know. I can't say, I'd love to say, of course, I would have asked Jesus, but would we? I'm not sure. We need to raise our eyes above earthly problems. We need to do this as Christ follows. Don't look at your lack, look at Christ. Human problem solving versus divine direction and provision. What is your no food moment right now? What's your equivalent that you're facing in your life right now? What's the mountain that you're looking at and you're trying to move this mountain with your own intellect, with your own plans, with your own solutions, and you haven't yet raised your eyes and, re- and changed your perspective to what God might want to do in the situation? What's it in your life? What is it that you're facing in your life? What are you concerned about when it comes to your time, your talents, your finances, your future? And if you're honest, You would consider yourself a Christ follower here today, but when you look at the situation, God's not even part of the equation. See, it's so easy for us to say that we're Christ followers, to have Jesus in our heart, but when it comes to crunch time and when it comes to a problem in our lives, he is nowhere near the equation when it comes to solving it. So easy, I know I do it. And so what is the problem that you're facing now? What is the big thing that you need a solution for? And are you looking to him first for the solution, the supernatural solution, and then allowing everything else to flow from that. So first challenge, do we have a kingdom mindset versus an earthly natural mindset? And if so, how do we ask God to start changing it? It's time for you and I to turn our eyes, to change our perspective, to move into a kingdom mindset that always supersedes the physical realm. God's kingdom always flows above and beyond and through the natural that we live in, always. He has all power, all all authority. What his kingdom is doing and what he is doing will always supersede the natural in our lives. So we need to challenge ourselves on that. Next one, generosity, versus selfishness. So we've had earthly mindset versus kingdom mindset, now we're gonna look at generosity versus selfishness. So there was this boy, so, uh, Simon Peter, sorry, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he obviously maybe looks around, maybe this boy was just close by to him in the crowd, or maybe he had already been weaving through, hey guys, do you have anything, do you have anything, do you have anything, do you have anything, and uh, he finds this boy. So he comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, but there's this boy, he has this on him for 10,000 people. And I don't think that uh, Andrew was going like this, It's here, this is gonna solve the problem. I think he was going, this is all there is. Of course there's no solution, Jesus. That's what I think his perspective was. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish and we know that that's his perspective because he says, but what are they for so many? I.e. this is pointless, Jesus. This little offering from this boy, that's all that there is and it is pointless. It is nothing when we look at 10,000 people. So there was this boy who was willing to offer up what he had. And we don't know if he thought that this food could be multiplied, or maybe he just had a generous heart and he was happy to give it. We don't exactly know what was going through that boy's mind. But either way, out of the crowd, he's the one singled out who comes forward with the food. Now you can't tell me that there was no one else with food amongst 10,000 people. 5,000 men and we don't know the rest. You can't tell me that no one had anything else to eat or drink in that place. Maybe that's the case, but I I stand to think that that wasn't. I have a sneaky feeling that he was the one who was willing. A sneaky feeling that this little boy, who just had this, was actually willing to part with the little that he had, whereas the others in the crowd who might have had something, as they saw Andrew looking around and looking for for some extra food, sort of just tucked it away, oh, we don't have anything, big problem. (laughs) No food for the people. (laughs) tough problem, but I've got some for myself, my wife, and my two kids. We're we're sorted, and uh, we'll we'll just sort of sneak a little bite when we're hungry. We've got a little fish in our pocket. They didn't really have pockets then, hey. Tucked inside the, smelly. (laughs) You might be the only one out of 5,000 when God puts something on your heart. You might be the only one who's listening or who's prepared to listen when God puts something on your heart, Go for it. You just don't know what miracle God wants to do on the other side of your generosity. And it may be a case that you're in a situation where everyone has an earthly mindset, where everyone is thinking in the physical and you're the only one. And it looks like you're gonna be an idiot. It looks like what what you're about to do, what you're about to offer is pointless, it's worthless, what could ever happen from this. But you're standing on the other side of something truly miraculous if you would just trust Jesus and you'd just step. So what are you, we sang, everything and nothing less. What are you holding back from Christ today? Is it your time, is it your gifting, is it your financial resources, is it the little bit you've got stored away in your cupboard as Zimbabweans do, a little bit extra than you need because uh, you might not find it in the shops so or the price might go up? Or well, what's that? What's your tin of shortbread? <laughs> That's the thing that you really love and you don't want to give away, but you're just getting this nudging from the Holy Spirit, this little nudge. What is it to you? Sure, you can enjoy your two fish and five loaves alone with your family. You can look after numero uno, or you could look after your family. And you can keep everyone in your little close-knit thing safe, and and you can make sure that you've got that little bit, and yeah, it's gonna last you for a day or two. You're gonna keep it close, keep it secure, keep it for those who you really care about, you're sort of real close in it, or it could be used as part of an astounding story that gets remembered for years to come. It's your choice and it's mine, but will we be prepared to have soft hearts and listen to the Holy Spirit and step out in generosity? It's my prayer that us as a church, that myself, that you won't miss out on God's miraculous in your life because fear-filled selfishness has taken the place of faith-filled generosity. Don't let fear-filled selfishness take the place of faith-filled generosity because you'll miss out. Okay, so that's the second one. Next one, simple trust versus constant anxiety. Simple trust versus constant anxiety. So look what Jesus does. He says, have everyone sit down, and there was plenty of grass. Obviously we weren't going through a drought, and there was good water around. Boreholes were running well. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they all sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. Do you know why we say grace? Maybe you don't say grace before a meal, or why, maybe you don't give thanks before a meal, I'd say that you should. When, when Sarah and I, you know, we've always done it as families uh, for every meal, but we've, we've put it into practice with our kids and, and giving thanks. It's to remind us that God is the one who has provided for our meal and ultimately is the one who provides. Not our job, not our entrepreneurial gifting, not our savings, it's God. Sure, we put in the work and sure there are salaries and sure there are savings and things like that, but the reason why we give thanks, even if it's a piece of bread, is for us to realize that our ultimate provision, our ultimate provider is King Jesus rather than ourselves. It's why we train it into our kids as well. It's why we say grace with our kids. Because we want them to realize that he's the one they trust in. They don't trust in mommy and daddy. Yes, there's a bit of that. But it's to show them and for us as a reminder as well that we trust ultimately in the Lord. Without him, we would have none of the gifts anyway. Do you notice how God prepares for the miracle? This is so interesting, and he's teaching us something here. Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. So you see, Jesus is preparing for it. He's preparing for everyone to sit and get ready for the food. Now there's only this for over 5,000 people, but before anything's happened, he's preparing for it. Before anything's happened, great guys, can you all sit down, get amongst your families? They would've all been standing, listening to him talk. He's showing us that there's a faith step that happens before the miracle. We always want it as people in reverse. We want the miracle with no faith. We never want to act, we never want to step, we never want to plan for the miracle. We want it to happen in reverse. So Sean Mullins, um, he's uh, a great story of this. I think it was last year or the year before, um, Sarah and I were chatting about it, where he hosts these Christmas dinners as one church, or these Christmas lunches, as for everyone, all street people, um, everyone can come, it's just open, and they try and plan for some of the food, and some people donate, but last year or the year before, there was just far too many people, and there wasn't enough food. But they would planned for it. They knew anyway that we're gonna plan this event. There isn't gonna be enough food, but it's gonna happen. God's gonna provide. And sure enough, as the day goes through, truck arrives and, and notices a crowd and says, hey, we've got some fish. It's gonna go off. It's gonna expire. Do you guys need it? Oh, yes, we'll have it. And then a vegetable truck randomly comes past. And the vegetable truck's like, oh, there's a crowd here. You know, we need to offload some of the stuff. Do you guys need it? And they had plenty, an overwhelming amount, supernaturally. But... They had gone ahead with the lunch anyway. See what I'm trying to say? Jesus is trying to teach us that for us to live this life, it's gonna take us stepping out before he has done anything. That's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in. You and I cannot live the Christian faith and escape the faith-filled steps of the unknown. We cannot. We can live a safe, secure, and stale life, yes, But to live the Christian life that Jesus wants us to live, it will take faith-filled steps. Because without those steps, we cannot exercise trust. We can exercise trust in ourselves but not trust in God. So if you're someone who likes control of lives, I think all of us to an extent, um, if you like to have all the ducks in a row, you're gonna have to ask God to help you trust, to remove fear and anxiety and step out in the tiniest of things and the bigger of things. And I think all of us struggle with this because as people, we naturally are prone to fear, we're prone to wanting to know that everything's all mapped out. But if we have it all mapped out and we're not prepared to step out in the big or the small, we'll miss out on what God has for us. And then he distributes. What must that have been like? I can imagine this electric unease. Imagine yourself sitting there, and this is what you see. Just imagine. There's a, a St. John's and George's, or a, a Peterhouse Falcon rugby game, and there's just crowds. So there's like 5,000 people, and Jesus is like, great, everyone sit down, we're about to eat. And then he gets this. He says, Lord Jesus, Thank you so much for this food. Well, you wouldn't say, Lord Jesus. Hey, he was Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> Father, please provide the food. I'm Jesus. Um, <laughs> Lord Jesus, please. <laughs> Father, please. Thank you for this food that you've already given. You notice that he gives thanks for the food, right? Thank you for the food that you've given. Great, everyone. Disciples, thanks, guys. Can you guys please come up? Here you go. The disciples must have been like, oh, Jesus is going to be pretty awkward. (laughs) We're not giving people crumbs. We're giving them proper food. And so they go for it. There's the fish, and they're trying to give like a little bit of the fin. He's like, no, man, go for it. Like break the fish. Give them full fish. And just more and more and more and more. Must have been, is this really happening? Is this for real? I don't know if any of you experienced um, an amazing miracle of healing, I hope that you have, or of provision. You do sit there going, did I really just witness that? Did it really happen? Did I make it up, coincidence? Did, it, did something really come from nothing? It was the raw power of God. Don't miss out on the miraculous because of human intellect. Don't miss out on the miraculous because of the famous word, coincidence we can so easily miss out when we see with earthly things and what God's doing in the supernatural. And God multiplies all things. He doesn't just multiply food. He multiplies our time. He multiplies our love. He multiplies our resources. He multiplies our forgiveness. He's the multiplier. Everything that's required for his kingdom advance, he will multiply in our lives. But he's also a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. So he will not force you and I to be used by him. He will not force us. He won't. So if we're not prepared to come with the little that we have, then there's gonna be someone else who comes with the little in that situation, but he will not force you and I to act. He will not force us to step out on faith. He will nudge us, he will draw us, he will reach out toward us, he will do everything possible to get us to turn to him and trust him, but he will not force you and I. That's for us to take, that step is for us to take. Great, second last one. Therefore, they were full. perfect. Abundance to bless versus hoarding for the future. Abundance to bless versus hoarding for the future. So look at this, when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Now why would Jesus do that? He didn't need to, he didn't need the food. Why would he ask his disciples to go around amongst the thousands and collect the leftovers? And couldn't he have provided the perfect amount for everyone so that there was no leftovers? Because says they didn't want wastage, he's God. He could have provided the perfect amount so everyone had their fill and there was nothing left over. Why? And whenever there's things in the Bible, we always need to get our minds turning and ask these sorts of questions. So I may have it wrong, but I think two possible reasons. Firstly, just like the Israelites in Egypt, you may not all know the story, but they escape Egypt, and then God provides manna, He provides bread from heaven that satisfies them. But some of you may know the story where they collected too much because they didn't believe it was gonna come the next day. They collected too much and it rotted. They couldn't actually use it because they didn't trust that he would provide for them each day. It was like, oh my goodness, it's here, let me get as much as I can, because we just don't know when it's gonna come again, even though he had said he was gonna provide for them. So either, first option, people didn't really believe God was their provider, and so when, It started getting dished around. They took way more than they needed and way more than they could eat to either save for themselves or because they were like, oh my goodness, we've got an opportunity to eat. We've just gotta feast ourselves and we've gotta stuff ourselves. We're gonna take way more than we need from the disciples because we just wanna take advantage of this and we just don't know how we're gonna eat in the future. Similar to the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And so that's a reason why there could have been wastage on the ground, because people had taken too much, they were so stuffed, they actually couldn't finish the rest of it, so it was just left around about them when the disciples went. How often can you and I operate as anxious hoarders? Just like them, going, oh my goodness, I just don't know when I'm gonna be able to buy this again, I just don't know when this is gonna be there again, so I'm just gonna hoard and I'm gonna stack up. How often can we operate like they operated? That's one option. One option that people may have operated like that. Second option, God wanted to show us that he doesn't just give us enough, but he gives us an abundance. Other option, he wanted to show he didn't waste stuff, so that's why he collected it, and obviously he would have used that uh, that properly. But second reason is, is that God doesn't just give us just enough, he's an abundant God who blesses us beyond our understanding. That's the other option, he doesn't just give us enough of resources, of talents, of gifts, of time, in his kingdom there is always surplus, there is always more of something in our lives to offer to other people. Not more for us, but more to bless, more to give, more to demonstrate his kingdom, more to demonstrate his love for others. Because he's not a selfish God, so he doesn't give us more just to build ourselves up and create our own empires. He gives us more so that we can give out more. So those are two options. If you don't have a kingdom mindset, you'll be more like J.D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men that ever lived of all time. And when he was asked nearing his death, so J.D., how much money is enough? His answer was, just a little bit more. If we don't have an abundance kingdom mindset, what we will do on earth is we will build and build and build for ourselves. We'll give various different reasons for it and various different excuses, but we will do it because we don't believe that God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance, and we don't believe that his kingdom truly lasts forever and ever. Be an abundant giver. Give out of the little that you do have, because there's one thing I can tell you. If you don't learn to give out of the little that you have now, you will never give out of the plenty you have later. You learn it in scarcity. God teaches us, generosity and he teaches us things in scarcity because he knows that if we don't get our hearts right and we don't learn it in scarcity, we will never learn it in abundance. And I think that's true and I think I've seen that in many, many people's lives. Okay, so that's the challenge. Be abundant, be abundant givers versus anxious hoarders. And the final thing, is Jesus a puppet prophet or is he a loving king? Is he a puppet prophet in our lives or is he a loving king? When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who's come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I wonder how many of those people there who followed him, who saw the miracles, I wonder how many of them actually followed him into the future and were part of the early church. I don't think very many, because if you look at how many were there during his death, if you looked at how many were there um, at Pentecost and through Acts, it didn't start very large, but yet there were crowds of thousands that followed this man, thousands and thousands. Why? It's because they didn't see his heart behind the miraculous, and they didn't see the king that he was. He wasn't the king that they wanted who was gonna come and solve their earthly problems, who was gonna kick out the Romans, who was gonna come and sit on his throne and make their lives brilliant on earth. They didn't see that side of him at all. They absolutely misread who he was and what he was doing. But God doesn't just do miracles for fun or because we act the right way or because it's your and my lucky day. He does the miraculous to demonstrate his kindness, to demonstrate his love, to demonstrate his power, but so that we see him. Not just the miraculous, not just for what he can give, not just for he must be my king and he must sort out my life and he must kick out the people who are giving me problems. He does the miraculous so that we see him. He does the miraculous in people's lives so that they see him. It's to lead us to the greatest miracle, which is the one of a healed and rescued heart. He's about a miraculous healing in our hearts and he will use physical demonstrations to bring us to the point of realizing that our greatest miracle that we need is a change of our heart for all eternity. So he will use that. But I think many of these people here didn't see what he was trying to do through the miraculous. He was trying to show them who he was and why he was there, the kind of God that he was. They missed it. They saw him as a, as a prophet for what they could get. Earlier, earlier on in the passage, it says it was the time of the Passover and I'll, I'll close with this. It says that there were lots of crowds, a lot of people in Jerusalem because it was close to the time of the Passover. Now, some of you may not know it, but the Passover feast was a reminder celebration for the Jewish people of what God had done in Egypt. There was a, there was a plague, there was a promise that he said that if the Egyptians wouldn't let the people go, the firstborn would die and the people who would be spared were the ones who would take blood and would paint it on the doorpost, and then the angel of death would come past, and anyone who was following God and who, who, was, who was listening and, um, and everything else would then be spared, but the others who weren't, who were against the firstborn would die. So it was, you, you can follow along with that story in Exodus. So that was the reminder. Jesus came, and his blood was shed on a post for you and I. It wasn't a lamb and the firstborn uh, was, was saved in the family. It was him and it was his blood on a post for you and I so that eternal death as it flows through the world and flows collectively through the world would not come to you and I, but we would experience life because of his blood on the post. That's the greater picture of the Passover. That's the greater picture that we would have eternal life and moving into a life of multiplication, stepping out into the miraculous, is all about us knowing who it is that has saved us as Christ followers and knowing his heart for us to demonstrate the reality of who he is to others. That's the bottom end one. The reason why I want you and I and and for us to live like that little boy, with open hands, wanting to give everything to God, is because I'm so desperate to see the miraculous in my life and in your lives. Why? Because it makes people ask the question, how has this happened, why has it happened? We give an opportunity to share of the greatest miracle that's happened in our lives, of the king who laid down and paid the greatest price for you and I, so we can experience the miraculous within our hearts. And beyond. Let's pray. Should we stand just as we close? <clears throat> so, this is one of those key opportunities. We have them every Sunday, we have them every day of our lives. But it's a key opportunity for us to respond and to say, Lord, yep, that's me. I want to move into a life of multiplication. I don't have a lot to offer. It doesn't feel like I've got a lot to offer. Maybe all you feel is that's what you have. You've got a tin of baked beans. You've got something physical. Maybe it's, I've got nothing else, but I feel like I've got a little bit of time. Maybe I've got a talent, and God, I've got this talent. I've been using it maybe for myself. Maybe I've been using it for my family, but it's time for me to to open it up maybe just as a show of, uh, of, of, of you and God, if, um, and, and I suppose this is, this, is for, this is more for Christ followers, but if you're going, Lord, I realize that I've been operating as an anxious hoarder. I've been op- operating with an earthly mindset. I've been operating um, with, uh, with, with God as sort of um, a puppet king, wanting him to do everything that we want. I've been, I've been operating on the other side and I wanna change. I want an opportunity for you to respond. Raise both your hands, raise one hand, put your hands out in front of you. Just say, Lord, I, I realize that, but, but I want to move into a life of multiplication. I want to move into a life of the miraculous. You can raise your hands and you can say, God, that's me. That's what I want. I, I, I don't want the ordinary, I don't want the stale, I don't want the, all my ducks in a row. If it means that I miss out on abundant life. I wanna move into it. Out of those 10,000 people there, there were many, many people there who were living um, the the mundane, who were living the safe, who were living the secure, and it took this little boy, this little boy to say, God, I don't even know what you're gonna do, but here's my little, and it's yours, and I want you to do something with it. So Lord Jesus, for, for people raising their hands and saying, that's me, I want to move into this life. I want to move into this life of multiplication, I, and there's, there's loads of hands up, that's great, that's so exciting, of Christ followers saying, I, I don't want to do this stale Christian faith, I want to do the, I want to do the real faith. Lord just right now, as people raise their hands, I ask you to give them a supernatural dose of faith, a supernatural dose of trust, a supernatural um, dose of clarity in hearing your voice, and that even today as they walk, even now as you're speaking to them, that they would walk into this life of multiplication. <laughs> not, a, not a necessarily comfortable little bit on the edge, but they would move into a life that you've called us to, a life where we see the miraculous. That's the normal Christian life. That's not the weird Christian life. That is the Christian life. <laughs> It's miraculous in the big things and the small things because we're trusting in a supernatural God. So, people who raise their hands, God, I, I ask you to do something special. I ask and next week there'll be testimonies of people stepping out in faith and big and small and seeing mind blowing miraculous. For ourselves, no. For your glory, yes. For people to come to faith, yes. Is there any of you here today who uh, haven't given your lives to Christ? You're sitting here and you're going, I know that I'm doing life in my own strength. I know that one day when I die, which is a stat that's 100% certain, I know that I, I think there's a God and, and if there is, I'll sort of say to him, oh, I think kind of the good things in my life were better than the bad and, and, and so I think I'm gonna be okay and, and get through into heaven. The truth is, is that we are worse than we ever thought. But Jesus is kinder and more loving and more full of grace than we could ever imagine. The truth is, is that the sin in your life, no matter how tiny, the little white lie, the little story, that that alone will separate you for all eternity from a God who's absolutely perfect. But the most brilliant news is that he doesn't want it to stay that way. That's why he came. That's why he was nailed to a cross. That's why his blood was shed as the perfect sacrifice to make right your sin and mine. So that if we would believe that what he did on the cross is true, if we would believe that his payment of sin for of our sin is enough, if we would put our trust in him for forgiveness in life, he would transform us, that sin would be washed away clean, that we can spend an eternity in heaven, we can have abundant life now. So if that's you and you've come today and you've gone, I mean, doing things in my own strength, I want you to know that right now you can place your trust in the King of Kings. That right now, his forgiveness is for you. Right now, you can take that step of faith in your heart, the greatest miracle of all time. And you can see your life move from death to life. And, and so if you make that decision, please come talk to me afterwards. Please go and see the Connect team afterwards. We wanna walk through that journey with you and help you in that process. We're about seeing life change here. Thank you, Jesus, that you're doing a work amongst us. Your name we pray, amen.